Hello and welcome to the first podcast of How Might We? And today we're talking to Charlie Boyle and the title is How Might We Balance Tech with the Human Touch? So before we get started, I just want to introduce Charlie. So Charlie's the CEO of Customer Service Excellent Island. He's a strong advocate that customer service starts deep within an organisation and not just a front of house function. He sees customer experience as the key battleground for the hearts and minds of the consumer in the coming years. So welcome, Charlie. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm good. So, Charlie, it's a really interesting um, title that you've chosen to talk about How Might We Stay, which is Balanced Tech with the Human Touch. Can you sort of expand on that a little bit, please? Yeah. So, yeah, and, and likewise, I, I like your title of How Might We, because I think it's I think it's important to ask the question. It's the quality of the question, of course, that is hugely important nowadays. And I suppose what we've seen, what we've seen in the last ten years, the last five years in particular, in the whole area of, of customer customer experience and, and that field that it, you know, very grateful to be working on, is a huge amount of tech, a huge amount of IT coming in as support, which is which is absolutely fantastic. And and I suppose artificial intelligence making a big big play in recent years the last the last two years in particular you know we've we've all seen that come on with with great effect but like like everything in life it's it's about balance you know it's balance is is totally and absolutely vital at this stage because there's there there would be a view sometimes is that the customer experience is all to do with technology and I think, you know, I think that's that's a dangerous view to take. Many do hold it quite strongly. I suppose mostly those that are invested in tech and in producing, you know, platforms and, and supports for the overall customer experience. And we run the risk, therefore, of not giving the level of importance that's required to the human touch and i think one of one of the the biggest challenges is probably to come up first of all with a term that better describes what we've used to date as soft skills because soft skills by its very name suggests that it's perhaps not important that it's it's woolly it's it's cushy it's nice to feel it's nice to touch but that it mightn't have a huge impact. So when we say something is, you know, soft skills training or a soft skills focus, I don't think we're still at the point that that term correctly identifies what those soft skills actually are. And, you know, I I know in in recent times, there's been a, a shift to people using the term power skills or human skills. And, and I certainly would, would rather, if, if it was awarded in those areas that that we, we came up with, but I think I think the title or the word or the description is important for human touch, and human touch goes far beyond you know the items such as you know smiling or the power you know the, the never underestimate the power of a handshake or good eye contact the, these these practices will still be important. I think it goes much deeper than that. And it goes into what we what we now 
you know, talk about is organization or company culture. You know, what's happening below the line? What's happening below the, the surface? Because without question, all of the IT and all of the advancements that we've seen will have only a limited impact, a limited effect, if the company culture or the internal customer service, as we might refer to it, is not correct and is not right. So the, the external customer experience, the experience that the external, the paying customer gets, is only a replication of what happens below the surface in any organization or any business. I believe that absolutely and totally, with very, very few exceptions, so few that it would be very, very hard to pull up one as an example. So basically, all changes must start from the inside, the inside of the organization, the inside of the, of the business. And a lot of them are human. A lot of them are about human interactions. I think it's you know hugely important that if, if money is the currency of transactions, things like trust, empathy are the currency of interactions. And the interactions are of huge importance. So how we interact with each other in an organization and, and in a business has an unbelievable outcome, impact on the outcome of sales and profit. But too often what we're doing is we're, we're coming up with a sales strategy or a sales project as if we go straight into sales and we give no, no credence and no focus or level of importance on things that are you know, within the surface. And it's not one or the other. It's not IT and the advancements there versus the human touch, which is opposite. It's both working together and both integrating and getting the balance and getting the integration because maybe it's not balanced. Maybe, maybe it is total integration in both of those. And if we go back to, to Steve Jobs and, and he had most to lose by making the statement that he made you know, his statement was along the lines that IT is not here to replace the human touch. It is here to enhance it. You know, that's, that sort of said it all is that IT should be a support to that human touch, but that human touch goes much deeper than, than we might even have thought of to date. And, you know, when it's working in tandem and when we see it working really, really well together and the integration and the balance is right, they they are the the customer experience is that are working at the level of excellence and I suppose Scott you know just just this week it it really highlighted for me because you know I was I was privileged to be asked to to act as as the Irish judge on the the European Customer Centricity Awards basically CX awards for the for the European market and and they had. They had an unbelievably high entry this year, and I think I think I adjudicated, I think it was 13 or 14, I can't remember, 13 or 14 companies or organizations from around Europe. And it was, it was really, really interesting going through those applications, all of very, very high quality, and all of them in this area of customer experience. And... Those that stood out for me, let's let's say seven really, really stood out. And it was difficult then to, to narrow it down. How do I narrow this down to the one or two that I need to put back 
to to the guys who are looking at the final decision here. And it was though those seven without question were those that I felt had the balance and the integration right between IT and you know what what we what we're referring to here as as the human touch. There there were there were those then that possibly because an IT department had taken over the project that they had gone full in on, on the IT solution. And you know, maybe when, when I was asking questions of, of that application, it might have been along the lines of, well, where does any form of picking up the phone or asking the question or face-to-face -face contact you know where is the focus there what about what about your internal customer service what about your company culture have you looked at that because we were allowed to probe and ask questions of the company for them to come back and in fairness to possibly those who had gone very full in on the IT side of it with some great pieces you know some great platforms or some some great solutions some great maybe banking app is that they accepted the challenge and they they sort of said yeah yeah you're right we, we haven't looked at something like culture and you know it it was it was very it was very strong what i felt was it was a very very strong admission and an acceptance that they too although they had been very very focused on it in their application that they saw and accepted that there also had to be a balance so i think the discussion is a really real one and you know your, your term and, and the series of broadcasts how may we you know and how 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 may we change this we we may change it by first of all asking the question and i think that's important if we don't ask the question we'll never be able to tease out the answers. So I think the debate, the discussion has to take place. And, you know, if it hasn't taken place, let's bring it up. Let's, let's disrupt thinking in this regard before it goes too fast. Because remember, IT will go 30 times faster than we as humans will. And there's always that danger that it runs that fast down the road that we're sitting in two years' time wondering what went wrong here and in my, my organization or my company. And I suppose from experience of, of being involved, you know, and working with projects, working on customer experience projects, it's something that I'm very, very aware of when I go on. And maybe the company themselves are not as aware of it. But the first, you know, one of the first tasks in the early days is, is to create a measurement. You know, let's measure this. Let's create something that clearly measures where you're at. Are you too far ahead in that, that area? Or are you far enough ahead that you know you could you could be happy with that, just sustain that for the next year or so? But where 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 is your company culture? You know, have you measured that? Have you measured trust, which can be measured? Have you measured integrity? Have you measured um, employee satisfaction? Stop measuring the customer satisfaction. You know, companies might have three or four measurements of customer satisfaction and no measurement of employee satisfaction, yet they'll have in their mission statement that their employees come first. Well, where's the evidence? So 
So creating creating the right tools, creating you know a framework where everything is 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 included here, and asking the question of the staff, and and this is disruptive, you know, asking the question of the staff, are your needs being met in the workplace? Because we have no problem asking the customer that question. You know, we ask the customer continuously, are your needs being met? What can we do better? But are we asking our employees who we say are the company asset, the greatest asset the company have, are we asking them, are your needs being met in the workplace? Because, Scott, we, we agree, we, we chatted about it briefly before we came on. The world is a changing place. You know, COVID, COVID-19 is only shining a light on that. You know, COVID-19 hasn't changed the world dramatically, but what it has done, it's switched on the light. And we now realize that people working from home, for, for, for a good percentage of those, we've yet to see the stats, for a good percentage of people working from home, it's a better environment for them to work in. Yet, six months ago, were we asking them the question, are your needs being met within this company? Were we giving them that option? And that's, that's, only one, that's only one area. So we need to, I believe, we need to start asking our greatest asset, our, 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 our employees, what are your needs and are they being met in the workplace? And if they're not being working, met in the workplace, tell us and let's see if we can adjust to that. But that's disruptive and that's not traditional thinking. And, you know, those that have been in management for many, many years, some may struggle with that. But we've moved away from a 20th century command and control, you know, where management is white, male, Western, and command and control by its, by its nature. And we've moved into a 21st century that, first of all, digital disruption, we've seen political, social disruption. So we need more leaders, not more followers. So we need leaders all over the place. But that has to, that has to happen by asking turning it the other way around. And it doesn't mean stop asking the external customer the question, continue that, continue that dialogue, continue that measurement. But let's look at it internally. Let's start looking internally and, and let's look at our teams. And, you know, I suppose Simon Sinek has, has been talking about this consistently, maybe for, for 10 years. And, we, we've all listened to it. We've all said, well, that's revolutionary. That's, that's fantastic. But we're not doing enough of it. And, you know, that's, that's my belief based on experience, based on the experience of watching those companies that do it and do it very well, get the results that they're getting. So I just want to go back. So an interesting question you've said is that it all starts from within. Um, and you would like to at least go we'll go back to the title of the thing about balance is balance the inquiries from the organization not to be so customer centric but to be a balance between employee and customer centric yeah yeah but yeah and and, and that's that's a good question but i suppose being customer centric and improving customer experience doesn't mean that it's all about human touch Technology also helps that process. And I, and, I, and I fall into that every day. Like I fall into the use of IT every day. And I love it. I love the advancements that are being made there. I love, you know, I love using apps. I love 
playing about with with the likes of Zoom, listening to you talking beforehand about you know what you're what what you're uh, discovering with the, with the use of online platforms. You know, th- this is all really really good stuff, but it should be seen as the overall focus on customer centricity, where the customer is center, and if the customer if we if we think of the term internal customer service internal customer service is going to become the most important aspect of it because there's no point improving the tech there's no point improving the front of house quality if the environment behind it is one where there's drama at play all the time and people are you know people are being maybe victimized or bullied or harassed and it happens we you know we have to be honest about this so you can't have a situation whereby we're killing each other internally and we're pretending to the outside world that it's great externally you can't have a mission statement up on the wall and a set of values that are just not being delivered internally because the younger generations that we so now need, millennials, Generation Zs that are coming after them, will not buy it. They just will not buy it. They're too switched on. And they're looking for the story behind the business, not buying the product anymore at a certain price. We have to understand that. We do. But we may not be doing enough about it. So 20 years ago, it was about the price and it was about the packaging and it was about the promotion. And, and, and you know, we, we, spoke, we spoke about five Ps up to about five years ago. and The five Ps were gone. Now it's about the story. What's the story behind this organization and this company? Why are they selling that product? Are there ethics involved? How are they treating their own staff? And as we hear these stories maybe slipping out in certain companies, we just see people backing off completely. And it's not, they may, they may like the product and they may like the price that has been sold at. Well, the millennials will walk away if the story is not strong. So, the third part of sales, you know, you went into any sales, best sales programs that were going internationally up to definitely 10 years ago, maybe five years ago, spoke about, spoke about the product. This is the product we're selling, spoke about knowledge, product knowledge. You don't need high levels of product knowledge now because the customer is coming with that evidence anyway. If you or I were going out to buy something tomorrow and it was over £100 or euros, depending on where you are, I'll assure you we would have as much knowledge of that product by the time we got to the store or the shop or the place of sale as the person who's selling it. So the, the, the person who is involved in the sales, and let's say it's a car, you know, um, very lucky to work in, in car sales with Volkswagen here in Ireland as well. And, and it's very, very interesting that, you know, the knowledge of the car, the knowledge of the car is not where it's at. The knowledge of, you know, buying for, for a female shopper, maybe buying a dress is not where it's at. It's important. You won't get away with not having a, a level of knowledge. But the third element of sales in recent years has been, okay, what's the story behind it? If we go back to fair trade coffee, which is probably the the leading light in this, we bought coffee 20 years ago. 
We never asked where it came from. We didn't really query. We, we might have queried the price. It tended to be about the product, which was woeful. It was, in a, you know, a synthetic cup with, you know, very little flair attached to it. Whereas now we're examining, okay, what, what's, what's the story behind this product? Where does it come from? And fair trade sort of opened, fair trade coffee opened a lot of questions about not only the products we were buying, but something deeper. So, and, and we're seeing it, it's very interesting. I think it's very interesting in the last number of years to see the amount of articles that are coming out about how companies are treating uh, their staff. And then we're seeing certain companies get caught out telling a story that is not maybe happening. And then people inside saying, well, actually that's, that's not really what's, what's at play there. So yeah, that's, that focus on the, on the internal customer, you know, how, how are we, how are we looking after that internally? And if, if and when companies do get that, there's so many examples, if and when companies do get that right, it's an inevitable outcome that they will treat their customers better. And if you treat your customer better, it's an inevitable outcome that they will come back. It's an inevitable outcome that your sales will go up and therefore you'll make more profit. So that you nearly detach from the outcome. So are you saying that it's an organization should really look at, especially moving forward into post-COVID, where people might be much more discerning about the money they spend and the experiences they have to have to purchase. It's important for organizations now to say, do you know what? If we get the, if we do the input right, such as how we treat each other in the organization, the output, such as the experience and the sales will follow. So rather than concentrating on the output, we concentrate on the input. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. There's an irony, there's an irony in there as well. 85% plus of people will spend more, even in a recession, 85 of us, and I'm one of them, will spend more on a product or a service if we feel that it is adding value to other people's lives much deeper than the product at a certain price. And that, that even goes, if, if you take retail, if you take the discounters, and I know this is the case in Ireland, I would say it's no different in the UK and anywhere else. If you take Aldi and Lidl, for example, People saw them coming in as German discounters. They're far smarter than being just German discounters. In Ireland, what they do, and they do really, really well, is they build the story around the provenance of the food that they're selling. So it's Tom the butcher uh, down in Kerry that's created the meat that you're now buying. This then nearly circumvents the price that that meat has been sold at. Because that tugs at the heartstrings of wow, they're they're helping to support local jobs in a rural economy, one that must be must remain sustainable. People will pay that premium for that product rather than saying it's meat on the counter at ninety nine cents. So that's that's an example at that that level of retail, but it it follows true in in, in most others as well. So if we're telling if we're, if we're really telling the story behind it. And that it's there to support, and it's, you know, it's to support communities, and it's to support families, and we'll, we'll buy that story. But that's, that's customer service. That is really, really good customer service because in, in the internal part of it, it's saying something about that company that they're, prefer, they're prepared 
with, with a lot of pressure from the consumer, of course, but they are prepared to find that premium uh, product at a premium price and match it with an internal, an internal customer service element. Okay, so interesting that moving forward as well, as like you said about the story behind it and supporting, as you say, Tom the butcher or the local guy is I think they, there could well be a shift moving forward also if people are sitting there because of what happens and you know some of the people who are suffering because of COVID because of the shutdown, local businesses. And I'm, I've, I've made a decision, conscious decision moving forward that wherever possible I will buy local in stuff that I'm buying. So I will go to the local coffee shop over one of the big one of the big brands because I've got to know the person behind the counter who's tried to keep that coffee shop open over the last couple of months. And in the conversations, you maybe put a little thing out in the paper to say, yeah, I just want to thank my customers who actually stood with me during that because you've helped me keep my business afloat. So I think that recognition of what the people are doing and you can, you can link with that, as you say, there's a story there. Absolutely, yeah. Without, uh, without... Like the human touch, is an, there's an element of a human emotional connection within that story. Yeah, there's a huge element of it. And you've already told the story. You've already explained the emotional connection there. You know, when things were tough, that coffee shop in my local area opened. They provided a service. So we're moving away from the cynical business that they're selling coffee at a certain price uh, to pull you in, to trick you into paying money. You probably couldn't tell me how much you're paying for your coffee, but you can tell me the experience in great detail. You can tell me about the ambience and the atmosphere, how you felt, because you probably met friends there, socially distancing, of course, you know, that you hadn't seen for three, four months. So you can explain to me the story of going in there and the experience. Remember, we're clearly living in an experienced economy for the last 20 years. Pine and Gilmore highlighted this, and people thought they were crazy. We're buying experiences. We're not buying products at a certain price. So we need to clearly, you know, let's, let's be aware that we are living in and we will be living in an experience economy for the next 30, 40 years. We're not living in a commodities economy. We're not living in a manufacturing industrial revolution. It's past. We're not living in a service economy. We're living in an experience economy. You've described it subconsciously. You just described a purchase. But if I pushed you on the price, where did the product come from? You might struggle with that. You may not. I don't know. Uh, I know there's a bit of Scotch blood there, Scott. So maybe maybe the price is relevant. But you understand what I'm saying. So it is. It is about the experience. It's about the emotional connections. You know, and I and I like that phrase, the currency of interactions. We're we're dealing in the currency of interactions. It's it's it's. We're, we're creating relationships. And I know for men, we wouldn't have used these terms 10, 15 years ago because we're still trying to be, you know, macho. It's, oh, it's nothing to do with emotion. Of course it is. Of course it is. It's how you feel. How did you make me feel? Oh, that story made me feel better. I'm going to go back there and I'm going to buy. You know, I've done the same thing every Friday without fail. You know, during the lockdown, there was a young lad who, who over, over in our village here, who started working with his father as a fishmonger and he got a new, a new uh, patch for his van. I don't know how much I was paying for the fish. I couldn't tell you how much per pound it was. 
I went over and bought a bit of a cod every Friday. It was an experience. I would do a bit of a blog on Facebook about it and people would react and you would hear other people saying, I'm glad you mentioned that because I went as well. You'd see the smile on the, the young lad's face. I thought it was a good thing to buy once a week to eat. I read all that about it. And it was, it was about that experience. And I know we're going slightly off, off kilter here, but if, if, we go back in, if we go back in and talk about this thing of, of the human touch internally, what's my experience of going to work in a place where there are 300 people working? How do we make that better? Because that's going to change. There's no question that's going to change. We, you know, we have a large American company in Donegal called Primerica. They employ like 1,500 people, which is a lot in a county, in a rural county like ours. They employ 1,500 people. And they made a decision month two into the pandemic that everybody could work from home until next year. Not, not July or August, or we'll see if we can get you back. You work from home. If, if working from home gives you peace of mind so you can plan six months in advance, you can plan... You know, you don't, you know, your, 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 your school children's care, you can plan that now, but we're going to let you know that at the very, very least, you're not going to be coming back to work until January of 2021. That story again went viral. They needed staff. They needed, they needed another 200 staff. And I think they had thousands of applications. And those applications weren't based on the fact that there's high unemployment in Donegal. It was based on the fact this is a company that cares. So what quality of people could they get as a result of that? I, I, thought, I, thought, it was, I thought it was really good, but it also said everything we knew about the company and how they treat their people as well. And if you Google them, check out how successful they are. So the culture was already there. That sounded very, very big to, to, to the rest of us but that's only in fitting with what they do. A lot of IT in that company, a lot of huge and important IT, but the IT working hand in hand with care, with empathy, with, you know, how, how do you feel not only as an external customer using us, but how do you feel as an internal customer working with us? So again, the, the transaction, the transaction, the currency of interactions. And I think what you're saying is there's a congruence between what they did now because of COVID, but it's also consistent with how they treat their staff regularly. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, we, we used exactly, Scott, and, and you know, the, the spotlight was, was shone on other companies and how they were treating their staff internally. We've had some, we've had some re- retailers that closed down, and I think it was... Perhaps Churchill that said, you know, you'll see where the bodies are, where the naked people are when the tide goes out. And, and they were exposed as well. Those companies that were not at that level that the likes of Primerica has described were, they were caught out very quickly of how they treated perhaps their internal teams. And they folded. They, they won't trade again. So, again, the pandemic, I don't think it's changed things, but I think what it has done is it's shone the spotlight on good, bad, and indifferent performance. And in this area that I'm interested in, and I know you're interested in as well, I think it's fascinating to see and watch what comes out of this in terms of the learnings. You know, we don't, we don't always, as humans, we're not always good at taking the learnings and changing immediately. You know, we, we see that time and time with recession. 
we don't always take the lessons, but we we take a we take a good percentage of them. And 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 the hope is that when we come out of this particular crisis, is that lessons will be learned. But it will it 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 it, it will change the way we work. There's no question about that. It will change. How much we don't know, but it will change. It will change the way we train online. It'll change the way we meet online. It'll change research. It'll change so many, so many other things because we no longer will travel three or four hours for a two-hour meeting when we can have a conversation like this. Okay. We'll have a blended approach to it. So blended might be the way forward, and that goes along with your balance. Absolutely, and, and, and blended is a fantastic, you know, it's a fantastic term. Again, get, let's get the word right, and so it'll be a blended approach. We'll, we'll, we'll have classroom learning once, and then maybe for three times in between, we'll have a platform like this. And, and you, you spoke about it again before we came on. We need to add quality to this. We need to add value to the platforms that we're using. So the better the quality, the more likely that we are to engage in it because it will make us feel better. Like you going into the coffee shops or what's the experience? What's the user experience? And the user experience now is part of the customer experience because a lot of it is, is, is about tech. So how, how easy is this to use? Is this hassle? You know, I'm anxious coming on. What if I press the wrong button? What if this guy doesn't think that I know how to use Zoom correctly? You know, so the easier it is and the more quality that's involved, and as long as the tech people don't go away ahead of us, you know, at 300 miles an hour and leave the rest of us guys that are, hold on a second, explain it to me, make it easy for me, make it easy for me to use this, and I'm with you. So that's blended. That's blended, having those conversations, rather than sitting down the back not asking the stupid question. Well, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Exactly. <laughs> you might say, yeah, again, that's a thing about being safe. So it's creating an environment where people feel safe to have these conversations as well. Yeah. Which goes back to what you say about trust and empathy is the, is the, the currency of those interactions, which then allow organizations and people and teams to have these open conversations because it's a safe place for them to have them. That's right. And, and you know, a good friend of both of ours, Shea McConnell, again, was a way ahead of it and creating things like an even better place to work. Let's create an even better place to work. But the first thing you must do is you must measure the current place of work. Measurement is vital in this. You know, and measure it anonymously. Ask the person without fear of them being penalized for their honesty. Ask them honestly in an anonymous way, how do you feel about working here? How can we make this a better place for you to work? Doesn't mean that all their demands will be, or all their needs will be met, because it's not demands, it's needs. And it's not their wants. We're not asking them what you want. That's dangerous. That would be a dangerous question. Don't ask them what they want. Ask them what they need. They need to understand the difference between both. And when you get the question right, once you get the question right, amazing things happen. So what do you need to work more effectively here? Well, I need to not come in until nine o'clock in the morning because I've got an autistic child and the childminder is not available until eight o'clock. That sounds very reasonable to me. And by the way, if you can work from nine o'clock, what time do you need to leave? Well, I could do with leaving at three o'clock because 
it works out better for me because my child starts getting tired at that stage and okay, you leave at three o'clock. So why not allow somebody to work from nine to three, even though everybody else is working from eight to five? Something really wrong with that? And that person has a, you know, agreed that they, they'll take less for doing that amount of work. You, you think you would not have a happier employee? What benefit would that have to the other people that's working around that person? What level of stress are you removing? What level of presenteeism are they then giving you? And what benefit does that, does that have to the, to the end user for whatever product or service you're selling? You start treating people like that, the outcomes are inevitable. And, and, and that is that they're positive. Okay, so it's been great listening to you, Charlie, and having a little chat about you want. So as the title is How Might We, we've talked about balance. So I'm going to put you on the spot now. So I'm going to ask you, so these are totally unscripted, by the way. I'm going to ask you your five things you think organizations can do that they could use to how might we balance tech with the human touch. Okay, continue developing IT at the pace that it's, it's been developed. There's, there's, there's no request to slow that down. Keep doing that. However, the second one would be be aware of the need for balance. The third one would be measure your internal customer service as well as your external customer service as the priority. Not because I'm saying you should as the priority. The fourth one would be to then ask your internal customers, your staff, your team, your stakeholders, what is required, what do they need, not what they want, but what do they need to be more effective in the workplace. And the, the final one would be, be conscious that customer experience is not only a tech outcome, that it's the blended, balanced, integrated approach of both the human touch, company culture, and IT development. Okay, lovely. Thank you. And that goes back to, I think, Peter Drucker says, what gets measured gets managed. Correct. So if you, if you learn to measure something, then you can manage it effectively. Yeah, and, and, and Drucker also said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. So that's how much he believed in it. Yeah. Okay, lovely. Well, thank you very much for your time, Charlie. It was great listening to you today. Thank uh, you, Scott. And that's it. Is there anything you would like to finish on? No, that's it. That's that's really good. And and all the best with you know the, the podcast. I think I think it's fantastic that you're doing something like this. Asking that question, asking that, you know, how might we? I think it's really really good. And you know, and, and look forward to listening to the to the following podcasts and the other guests that you ha- you have on the program. So thank okay. you. Yep, lovely. Well, thank you very much for your time and thank you for uh, listening. And thank see you. you on the next podcast. Thank you very much.